Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Daniel. In this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome Joelle Meltes. Joelle is a world-renowned international speaker, psychotherapist, and PTSD and trauma expert. Her passion is mentoring, coaching, and supporting people while overcoming struggles that keep them from living a meaningful and balanced life full of fulfillment, joy, and contentment. She helps individuals, couples, and families open the door for growth and understanding by creating a safe space in individualized plans using complementary therapies. Using reflective listening, strategic inquiry, and encouragement, she can provide feedback and interaction that allows clients to make informed, healthy, and compassionate decisions. Her career highlights include being a guest speaker on ABC's 60 Minutes, Beyond the Headlines, Switch YouTube Live Host, Higher Vets Medallion Award recipient, and several outstanding achievement awards for top female executives. In this episode, Joelle and I discuss trauma's impact on our bodies. We also discuss polyvagal theory and the impact our vagus nerve has on our overall functioning, especially if we are not operating in homeostasis. We then discuss how trauma can show up in our parasympathetic, sympathetic, and autonomic nervous systems, which can be experienced as fight, flight, or freeze. You can find Joelle online at joellerabomaltese.com and all her socials are available on the show notes. If you could leave a five-star review at the end of this episode, I would truly appreciate it. Great, Joelle. Welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me today. And uh, I really appreciate you reaching out and wanting to do this with me. So I'm super excited for the conversation. I've seen some of the work you do. Uh, So truly honored to have you on here. But uh, before we get into our conversation today, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and let the listeners know what it is that you do and where you're based. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I've been really excited to start our new year talking about about this specific thing that uh, I know you will introduce in a minute. Um, People can find me through socials, online. It's my name. I know you'll drop the spelling down in the show notes, but joelrabomelitis.com. It's a mouthful, and uh, we put a lot of content up on YouTube and TikTok and Insta, so hopefully um, your listeners can find us there as well. Yeah, yeah. And then what is what is it that you do and the work you specialize in, and why are you so passionate about it? Oh, my gosh. Um, let's see. I am a marriage and family therapist. I'm licensed in multiple states and have a trauma specialty clinic that is out of the Silicon Valley in California. And so um, we do a lot of things with first responders, with military refugees, um, and anyone who's been experiencing trauma. And we have a multi-modality approach to that. And then in addition to that, I do a lot of podcasts and and talks and training on how to work with trauma and and post-traumatic stress. 
I think the passion piece comes from my own healing. And so it, it launched me into my career 2.0. It's my second career and, and um, really gave me an interest in understanding my own trauma and healing, but then how can I support others through that process? Yeah, and that definitely resonates for me. That's kind of been the journey I've been on going through my own struggles and healing and then realizing that I'm not the only one that probably goes through this. So how can I help others and support them? And that's kind of catalyzed a lot of the work I'm doing now. And and one of the reasons why I do this podcast as well is to help other people understand what are some things they may be struggling with and how they can get help. And, And the biggest thing is that they're not alone in those struggles. And, and I guess, you know, kind of feeding into to the conversation today around trauma, which is something that debilitates many people. And there's a lot of struggle around that. One of the things I've come to realize is we store that trauma often in our bodies. And that shows up in more somatic ways. And a lot of people don't necessarily realize that. But that's kind of where I wanted to ask you and talk to you about the polyvagal theory, which I've uh, kind of learned about a little bit, don't have a whole lot of um, experience with and understanding. So yeah, just wanted to throw it out there and, and, you know, get your thoughts at the same time around trauma and why it shows up in different ways. Yeah, it's trauma is interesting because it affects us and affects us, right? Both. We have the, the emotional affect and then the physical, emotional, spiritual effects of it. And so it's this holistic experience. And we hold that in ways that we're not even aware of, right? So it impacts us at a very conscious level, but then also at that very deep subconscious level and how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others. And and sometimes in everything that we do, we don't realize that we're overcome by trauma responses. And so polyvagal theory um, was developed in the early 90s by uh, Dr. Stephen uh, Porges, Mm P-O-R-G-E-S, and was really this first introduction of how the autonomic nervous system responds with our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system firing off when we're in fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And so with this theory, he was really looking at safety and how we hold this idea of safety, whether it's our physical safety or our emotional safety and how that intersects with trauma Mm-hmm. And then how that shapes our behavior and the, and the way that we interact in the world, the way we interact with others. And so he was really taking a theory um, based in somatic or body, you know, body experiences that Dr. Vanderkolk started with the body mm-hmm. keeps the score, you know, years and years earlier and said, okay, how does this actually work with the nervous system? And so it really stemmed from this neurobiological explanation of psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think for, for based on some of the work I've read, it, it's interesting because a lot of people just associate their brain as being this individual organ in a way, but it is connected to that vagus nerve. And that's where that messaging is going back and forth between our brain 
in our body. And that's why we often tend to experience these somatic feelings and, and the storage of that trauma in different parts of our body. Um, are you able to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's pretty right on. And so a lot of it is that, you know, we respond with this fight, flight, freeze, and that is, comes from this, like you said, vagus nervous system, right? Or the autonomic nervous system. And so based on how we respond fires, these different experiences. So some people have overwhelming physical responses. They may tighten their jaw, clench their fists. People Mm -hmm. sometimes about seeing red when they get angry um, or they they clench, right? They hold their whole body um, and and that's how they feel at first. And then they'll experience the emotion around that, whether it's anger, fear, um, you know, or that fight, flight, freeze. Sometimes people will say they feel numb or they don't feel anything. Other people have that same experiences, but in reverse, they have an emotional response and then their body will interact. And it's not that one is better or worse than the other. It's it's just a very individualized process for people. And it happens so quickly. And it really comes from what I what I joke and say, the lizard part of our brain or way in the back of the skull, um, that component and area of the hippocampus and the amygdala in the back of the brain is where we begin to process emotion. Mm-hmm. And so if we think about it as sort of this flood of experience, the back of the brain gets fired off or engages with that nervous system. And it kind of goes over the skull and it interferes with the front of the brain by your forehead, which is that executive functioning. So we have this biological response that impacts the way that we can cognitively understand and respond. And Mm so it really is this whole body experience, right? It's a physical biological body response that impacts the way that we think that cognitive functioning and then our emotional self and so yeah and so so somatic is all about how the body is holding on to that Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the that reptilian part is very primal in 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 that sense and as you alluded to you know we were kind of looking back thousands of years ago we were used to these responses of from fear essentially and and then that's where that reptilian brain kind of comes in and main function is to protect us but to your point if we're not able to pause and process those emotions then automatically we're responding whether it's fight flight or freeze for that matter um and and then i think a lot of the times you know i've heard people explain those somatic experiences differently for example a lot of people experience a tightening in the chest uh, back issues i think for me it was a lot in the shoulders um and i think the more aware you become of the trauma or even your own emotions what i've experienced is i can now tell those sensations in my body it's like okay what's going on am i stressed am i uh, carrying some emotions that need to be processed. Is that typical for people that start becoming more aware of some of those emotions or trauma that have been not, that haven't been processed for that matter? 
Yeah, it, it's it's very common. A lot of times people will say, you know, um, they talk about feeling panicked or having mm-hmm. a panic attack and they'll give the same kinds of or similar symptoms as people experiencing a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult sometimes to know what's going on. Is it a physical response being generated by something happening in the body or is it a physical response being generated by something that's happening emotionally and that isn't to say that people are making it up that's not what all what i'm suggesting at all it's that the body holds trauma and we don't necessarily have memory of that Mm. and so the body will hold on to it and then the body starts responding to trauma in a way to sort of you know signal the alert of like okay you know emotional brain pay attention to this, right? I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm afraid. Um, And so sometimes the body's response comes out in pain, illness, fatigue, tension, and um, a lot of GI issues. People report, you know, having stomach issues. And the body doesn't have a way to tell us what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So it only reacts the way it knows how. And what happens is our brain starts to interpret that based on how we feel about it. Well, I don't feel good. And I'm, you know, now I'm stressed out or I'm stressed out and now I don't feel good. And we don't necessarily tap into that subconscious of, well, maybe there's something underneath that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, our, it's, it's self-preservation. So it makes a lot of sense when we think about it, right, is we don't necessarily want to relive traumatic experiences. We don't want to think about it. So we don't. We compartmentalize or push it off to the side. Our body holds right. on to that, though. Right. So mm-hmm. our body's still trying to work through that and process it. And our brain is actively trying to suppress it so it mm-hmm. doesn't exist. So we don't have to go through it again or feel it again right? Because it was traumatic. And so, you know, it, it's, it's our body's way of protecting itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know you alluded to the book by Bessel van der Kolk, uh, yeah. The Body Keeps the Score. And I know in the book, he also talks about different ways of processing that trauma, uh, whether it's meditative practices or yoga, or even in certain cases, he suggests role-playing of reliving that story, what are some ways that you offer or suggest to the people you work with in terms of dealing with that trauma that may be stored in the body? And I guess, first of all, it's even becoming aware of it. And how do people bring that to awareness? Yeah, there. I mean, all, all good questions and, and also all great suggestions. You know, f- first and foremost, it is a very individualized process. So what works for you, what works for me may not work for someone else. And so unfortunately, it's it's the painful process of trial and error to find what's going to work right now. And, and mm-hmm. that that feels defeating, I think, sometimes. It certainly did for me until I, I figured out how how that was going to work. Um, and and what what was the the key ingredient sort of for my healing and and it does start with I just want to feel better right now how how do I work in this moment right now and I like as a therapist to start there so I really start with post traumatic growth that theory um, which is all about not and so what who cares so so 
what does that mean for me right now? How do I stay present and move forward without dismissing or invalidating all of my experiences? Mm. Um, so I, I like to start there and I like to also use solution-focused therapy and skills-based therapy. So I really start with, let's just take a look at what's going on for you today and, mm -hmm. and how's your daily functioning working and then once we have some skills, it's almost like rebuilding a foundation. I can't take away somebody's defense mechanisms, right? Or, or tell them, hey, throw, throw all of this out because it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. We go into that fight, flight, freeze, and we re-traumatize either ourselves or, or other people. And so what we want to do, in my opinion, is develop skills first and then slowly ease into working through the trauma. And that way, when I'm feeling triggered or I'm feeling that trauma response in my body, I'm feeling it emotionally, I've got some skills to help pull me out of that experience, right? So I slowly can start to unpack the trauma and then reintegrate it. So there's all different kinds of theories, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, um, dialectical behavior or DBT is mm -hmm. all about the Eastern philosophy and Western psychology with this mindfulness, breath work and meditation. They all work in, in different pieces of all of these theoretical orientations mm -hmm. work. So it, it's finding the right combination, I think. Right. Yeah. And to your point, everyone's different when it even comes to finding that right modality or methodology of dealing with the trauma and and it's finding that right fit um and, and then to your point with solution focused therapy just for the listeners i think there's an aspect of the client gaining more agency because you're able to move away from the problem and i mean the problem's important but it's focusing on the solutions and coming up with those narratives yourself as a client and i think that's why a solution focused therapy can be so powerful because the client themselves can or themselves can have more agency for that matter yeah and and i think it, it's not a, a it's not a one model one size fits all mm -hmm. so it's not that oh you you as the client like solution focused therapy so we're always going to stay with that right. it's a place for me to start to give like you said someone agency and and for some people, the label is very important, quote, victim, survivor, um, thriver, right? The, these are, for other people, that's not important at all. And so the solution focus part is moving into a place of agency. How can I take some agency over what's happening to me or what has happened to me? Right. Without moving into this forgiveness model, which is more of a Judeo-Christian concept. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that works for some people, doesn't work for others. Right. right? So, so really moving people into agency to start to understand how they're responding in their present moment, then kind of going backwards and saying, OK, let's let's start to tease out where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess. One of the things I, I see a lot of people, and we've touched on it briefly a few times, struggle with those somatic issues. And and to your point earlier as well, a lot of it could be digestive in nature. Mm -hmm. And often people continue to live their lives without really making that connection that perhaps 
these issues that I'm experiencing are from some trauma that I've been carrying for whether from childhood or even uh, adolescence or adulthood. What are some of the tips you can offer to people that are experiencing these issues but haven't been able to make that connection or are too fearful to even face that trauma because of what may come up from it? Yeah, and and I think the the fear is a very normal part. So if, if there's any takeaway for the listeners, that fear is normal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me, trauma is in the eyes of the beholder, and I think what happens is people say, "Oh, well, that's not traumatic because it wasn't this thing, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, or it's not, you know, it wasn't as bad as so and so. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of times people don't know how to contextualize trauma. And so if it feels traumatic, if somebody walks away then from, from an experience that they are continuing to remember, um, it was very scary, they keep thinking about it, or they go back in time and think about it, then it counts. It's trauma, right? It, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's traumatic for me. My trauma is different. Right. right. And and so some of it is not dismissing it. And and if if it feels like it was traumatic, then chances are it's trauma and that counts. Mm-hmm. So part of it is is recognizing that it's okay whatever that trauma for me is doesn't have to be validated or quantified by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right? It it counts. So some of it is that recognition I think that's the hardest part sometimes, right? Because yeah. it's hard to take a look at things that happened to us and put a label on it. It's painful and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so for me, that's the, that, that's where I like to start. And then skills, there's a lot of things. So um, I really like breath work. And so sometimes what I'll ask people is just notice when you're driving a car, right? Notice where your shoulders are. Are they up to your earlobes? You know, are you holding your body really tightly? Are you Mm -hmm. clenching your jaw? Just notice those things. And then instead of saying relax, which we know doesn't work, like calm down and relax, don't, don't help. So notice those things. See if you could take a couple of big, deep belly breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, just some really big, deep belly breaths. And then, you know, roll your shoulders back, maybe turn your head, open and close your mouth, unclench your jaw, wiggle your fingers and toes, take a couple of breaths and see if if you can get centered back in your body. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's just noticing and being aware of what's happening in our body helps, right? right. It helps calm the nervous system down. So when we talk about, you know, somatic and polyvagal, part of what we're talking about is calming the nervous system down. So we know meditation and breath work work very well. So breathing, and then I'd like to move into thought stopping, which is cognitive or CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's really visualize a stop sign, tell yourself, stop, take a big belly breath, and then what is next? What do I need to do next? When we ask ourselves why questions, we start to cause the processing to happen. And so we throw ourselves back into that traumatic experience and we cause our bodies that somatic experiencing or physical responses that we're having to escalate. 
So we want to stay out of why questions until we're in a safe space that we can really process. When we're in it, okay, stop. What do I need to do right now? Drive the car. What do I need to do right now? Get up, make some tea, go, you know, take a walk, maybe do 30, you know, 30 seconds. Really, it, it's it's a 30 second process of mindfulness or deep breathing to push that reset button. So staying out of the processing trauma and learning how to respond to the affect and the effect helps. The time for process will come. When we start to feel like we have a little bit more control over ourselves holistically, that mind, body, spirit, we become more willing to sit with the process and understanding the why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think on top of that, uh, everything you've shared, and I think you touched on it earlier too, is, is often people also have these emotional responses. So a good telltale for at least I've experienced it myself too, but I see with other people is when you often get triggered or worked up about small issues, I think that's also a signal that perhaps there's something deeper that's rooted deep in inside that we need to perhaps pay attention to or even bring to our awareness. Um, Because a lot of those triggers we have are perhaps from the past that we haven't really brought to our awareness or, or dealt with. Yeah. And, and, and scaling that, right. Noticing like, okay, I responded, I responded at a 10. Did that situation warrant that? Mm -hmm. Because if the sky is falling and we're responding at a 10, there's a real problem. Yeah. Usually we feel like the sky is falling. And when we take a step back, you know, we say, oh, wow, that was a real overreaction. You know, mm-hmm. like, no, the sky is not falling. It, you know, it this is not that big of a crisis. And so some of it is paying attention to the magnitude, right, or the velocity at which we're responding. Right. Um, if it doesn't make sense and it is something that happens often, um, not just a one-off, then there's probably some something there. There's something deeper there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and one of the things I wanted to also touch on when we were talking about trauma and to your point, trauma is very subjective and we don't necessarily need to have that validated by others, but you kind of hear people use the big T and the small T. And I personally struggle with that because again, you're labeling it and what may be a big T for me might be a small T for someone else, but then now my experience may not feel valid for me. For example, if I hear someone else describe it as a small T for them. So what are your thoughts on that? And then I also want to take some time to perhaps differentiate between trauma and PTSD as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I too really dislike it. It was a way that we in the world of psychology used to classify trauma where a big T trauma was something that I experienced firsthand. We talked about things like, um, sexual assault, rape, murder, um, death, things that we were war that we experienced little T trauma being things that we witnessed right? Um, So witnessing a car accident, witnessing um, a crime, things like that. And 
you know, I, I really think that we've transcended this. Um, we know that early childhood traumas are relational by mm-hmm. nature, doesn't necessarily fall into big T, little T category. So there's so many other things. Um, we know that you brought up PTSD and, and we'll, I'll go into that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that trauma is not just for veterans or military right. anymore. And so I think when we try and put big T, little T camps, we dismiss and we invalidate what people's experiences are. Because again, you know, someone's childhood may be extremely traumatic for them. And if you put that against someone else's childhood, right, their situation may seem more traumatic. And yet that person says, no, that wasn't my trauma. My trauma was this one time when I was in a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. Like there it's apples and oranges. And right. so I think that, that it's very dismissive and, um, and I just don't, I don't see it that way. That's why I say trauma's in the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. You know? and, and just to add to that, um, sorry to interrupt, but I think what happens also is it causes a lot of people to also deny their experience, right? And I've seen it with so many people that they're like, oh, my childhood was normal. I mean, I had a functional family. My parents were together, you know, lived in a good neighborhood. So I didn't have trauma. And and then they create this denial because they're comparing themselves to other people's childhood and experiences. Um, so so that, I think, is also an issue. And, and for a lot of people that may have experienced trauma, they're probably not bringing it to their awareness. Absolutely. And when I start interviewing people and, and talking, you know, training clinicians, talking to clients, one of the things that is really interesting is they'll say, oh, I had great parents. I have a wonderful childhood. I had this coach. Ah, really? Interesting, because we don't put that in the big T, little T camp, but we know that coaches can be detrimental to someone's psyche, mm-hmm. right? Look at what's happening in the NCAA right now with, yeah. you know, toxic coaching. And so um, there's so much that I think we we overlook, you know, um, that, you know, yeah, I, I was almost rear-ended in a car and my whole body seized and responded as if I was going to be hit and then I wasn't. Well, that's not necessarily big T or little t trauma. Our body remembers that. And so mm-hmm. if you, that's ever happened to you, every time you get to a stoplight and you look in your rearview mirror, you have this response of, oh my gosh, I might be hit again. Right. Even though I was never in a car accident before, our body's going to respond to that. So every time that happens, that response is solidified over and over. And it gets bigger and bigger because we remember how we felt the last time we experienced it, not the original memory. So Mm -hmm. it continues to grow because we're remembering how we feel in this moment right now. Right. And so every time we get to a stoplight, and we feel like the car behind us is coming up a little too fast, our whole body's going to have a reaction. That's how trauma works, right? Mm-hmm. And so in theory, that doesn't seem traumatic. And yet our body is having a trauma-based response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and that's pretty much everything we've been talking about is, is the body really 
giving us that information that perhaps we need to be dealing with something here. And, and then going back to, to PTSD, how is that different than, than trauma? And I know even PTSD can be subjective depending on the person's experience, but how do you differentiate between the, the two? Yeah, I, I mean, if we take that example, right, with, with the car and, and almost being rear-ended, really that's a post-traumatic stress response, mm-hmm. right? We have a stressor where we think we're going to get rear-ended and hit by a car. Our body has a response. We have an emotional response. We probably get angry, cuss out the person behind us, right? Then we move into fear. So we have a physical response. We have an emotional response. Um, some people have a, you know, um, a existential or, or spiritual response. Mm-hmm. And so what we're experiencing is post-traumatic stress or PTS. Mm-hmm. When we talk about D, what we're talking about is disorder, and that's based on DSM or diagnostic criteria. Mm-hmm. And so the way I think about it is D disorder means it affects my daily life and living. Mm-hmm. So when it affects my daily functioning, that becomes an issue. Right. So is it normal for us to have post-traumatic stress responses? Absolutely. Right. And so trauma and PTS and, and then PTSD are really not, um, mutually exclusive. You could have trauma responses and never develop PTSD. Right. Um, and you can have post-traumatic stress disorder and not realize what the trauma was that that's unusual and that it doesn't usually work that way. Most people are pretty aware of their trauma. Sometimes people will have overwhelming PTSD responses in life emotionally and physically, and it takes a little uncovering to figure out what the trauma was before that diagnosis is given. Mm -hmm. Um, So PTSD is really a a diagnostic criteria. And um, if we take that out and we just look at this post-traumatic stress response, our body's doing what it's supposed to do. It moves into fight, flight, freeze. It has a response. It gears us up to make sure that we're protecting life and limb. Mm -hmm. And then we move into an emotional response, right? And for some people, they're able to develop resiliency and move through that. And other people are um, compartmentalizing and have a much harder time moving through it. And for some people, it gets in their way of their functioning. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and to your point, I think, and, and everything we've covered to, to thus far, there's different components to, to the trauma as well, right? There's an aspect of fear, there's an aspect of grief, there can be an aspect of anger. Now, one of the things I've learned recently is often it's easier to break those components apart and deal with them one at a time and process it. Whereas you know, when you're trying to take all of it together, it can be overwhelming and hard to deal with all at once. But by breaking it into smaller components and processing each one individually, I think it's a lot easier, uh, relatively speaking. But it, it it's not as daunting either, right? When when you're kind of looking at it all at once. Yeah, and and so that's part of why I like to work with skills because usually when people are coming to therapy or they're starting to seek treatment, what they're looking for is I want to feel better right now. 
Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's look at the skills first. Some of some of the outward pieces, right, or the lower hanging fruit start to evaporate Mm -hmm. as we learn skills and we start to talk through and, and deal with our trauma. Some of the pieces that have bothered us every day start to resolve. Right. The other pieces are things that we have to work through. And yes, for some people, it's much easier to take one bit at a time. Um, I've also had, you know, clients come in where they've done a lot of trauma work already and they come in and they're like, I'm getting stuck. I've plateaued. I don't know why this is. And they're ready to just like blast through the rest of it. And they want to do it all, all at once. Yeah. You know, so, um, I think it's where people are in the process. And so I, I really, I really hesitate starting with, okay, let me understand everything that's happened, replay the whole narrative or what we would call the story. It's not a dismissive term, um, replay the incident and what happened. I hesitate going there with people in the beginning if they're unwilling to, Mm -hmm. because it does open all of the trauma back up. I'd rather say, okay, where are you getting stuck? Like, well, I'm having a hard time getting along with colleagues. I'm quick to anger. I've got a lot of road rage. And then I have a tremendous amount of shame and guilt. And I do this shoulda, woulda, coulda. I keep myself up all night. I'm not sleeping. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a lot of information. What part do you want to start with? Well, I'd like to get more sleep. Ah, okay, cool. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I can back my way into now let's really look at the trauma of how you got to what I'm looking at when this person's coming in with all of that of, wow, that's a lot of protective behaviors, mm-hmm. a lot of protect self-preservation. Okay, that that makes sense to me with trauma, right? Of course, we want to protect ourselves. We're going to develop the shell mm-hmm. and anger keeps people away. Right. Yeah. It keeps me safe. So it's not just an emotion, but it's a defense mechanism. So yeah. when somebody's coming in with a lot of anger, guilt and shame, grief, then I'm looking at somebody who's who's really been hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Got this huge shell and it's like, OK, cool. Let's start to work with that. What yeah. can we start to replace that with? Because eventually that underbelly is going to start to show itself. Yeah. Yeah. And and I appreciate that. I think kind of approaching it in, in smaller pieces, as we've said already, is easier because quite often, to your point, the, the guilt, the shame and anger, they all feed each other, right? You'll kind of go through that cycle. It'll start off with guilt, then you'll experience shame, and then you experience anger, and that kind of reinforces itself. So by breaking that cycle, you're also putting yourself in a position of being able to deal with all those emotions that come up uh, for for individuals. Yeah. And, and I realize, you know, when people are listening, it's like, oh, it just is so easy, you know, just snap your fingers. And like, <laughs> it, it is not easy. It's very simple concepts, right? Mm-hmm. These are simple concepts. In no way is it easy. It's right. hard. It's painful. We regress right? We don't progress and it's frustrating. Like there's all of this stuff and, and normalizing that, right? Whatever your, your personal process is, is important because skills are not easy. It takes six to eight weeks doing the exact same thing at the exact same time over and over and over to make a behavior change, which is 
virtually impossible to isolate all of the variables to to do that, right? It's why it takes us so long to change our behavior. So having some, some, you know, patience and grace with oneself helps, right? Because it's very, very painful. Um, And, you know, my, my trick is I, if you, I actually have a heart shaped sticky note, but if you look at my desk, I have sticky notes everywhere. Um, and so a lot of it is skills based. So, um, I, my favorite one, I, I actually stole from my director. It's wait, why am I talking? <laughs> you know? So I have a lot of acronyms and notes to myself that help me when I'm struggling, remembering the skills to be grounded that, that help get me back, you mm-hmm. know, to, to myself, um, the deep breathing. And then the other one that I really like is from, um, EMDR, I movement, yeah. Rapid desensitization, but there's a tapping uh, program that is based in EMDR that helps slow the heart rate and helps get us present. And it really is the easiest one is crossing the arms across the chest and tapping, sh- you know, the right shoulder, then the left shoulder intermittently at a speed that feels good and a pressure mm-hmm. that feels good and taking some breaths while you're tapping. And that will help that that nervous system start to calm down. So there are things that we can do to help us start to re-engage in the world without necessarily dropping us into that grief, shame, trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, and what I've mentioned on this podcast many times before too, that healing isn't linear. So there are chances that you are going to regress or as you mentioned, people do feel like they've plateaued and they feel stuck. And one of the other things I've mentioned is even if we feel like we've dealt with a source of trauma, we may uncover new things that may cause us to feel stuck or may prompt us to seek out help again. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. And I think it's just part of that process of healing, right? It it never really ends. Um, but one of the last things I did want to touch on coming back full circle to polyvagal theory is the idea around there's the three components with when you're connecting your mind and body, the parasympathetic that you touched on, the sympathetic, and then the dorsal vagal. Now, how are these three fall in terms of what state you might be in physically? Yeah, so it. So each one activates to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we, for, for somebody who's moving into flight, right, their um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems are going to do something different than somebody moving into fight. Mm-hmm. And so um, we used to think it was all the same. We now know that it's very individualized. Individualized, and so what happens is these these different components of our nervous system. Basically, our nervous system is divided into these three pieces, and each piece does something different. Mm-hmm. And so we get stuck in our body. at the point in time of the trauma. And so the way that we get stuck is different based on these three 
three nervous systems. So our parasympathetic gets stuck. If you think about a like a time capsule, it gets stuck in that moment of time and it has a certain series of reactions. Our sympathetic nervous system gets stuck and that has a series of reactions. Um, one engages us or, or again, causes us to have those more fight symptoms and, and amps us up. Others calm us down or slow us down. Um, and then our dorsal or vagus nervous system gets stuck. And so when we talk about trauma getting stuck in the body, we're really encapsulating what our body's totality, what our whole experience was in that moment. And so sometimes it's very difficult to pick apart all of those different pieces. So we sort start to generalize a little bit and say, okay, our nervous system is having this reaction. And then our body is manifesting um, those reactions in these symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know, GI, whether it's body tension, whether it's heart palpitations, um, you know, hyperventilating, all of these different things are different components of each of these nervous systems. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I I think what I was personally trying to understand, I think if I'm not mistaken, the dorsal vagal is where we want to be operating if i'm not mistaken like that's kind of where we're at the optimum because otherwise we're we're constantly in that to your point stuck in the fight flight or freeze mechanism right yeah the dorsal vagal is is uh, it's the thing that works with regulation and Mm -hmm. so it's where we attach um or, or the connection between our nervous system and, and emotionality happens. Yeah. And so, yes, we that's where we start to regulate. And so when the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems, that ANS are way out of balance, mm-hmm. um, the regulation component becomes very difficult. So some of it is learning how to manage the fight, flight, freeze, or hypervigilance mm-hmm. piece of it. Um, or the numbing out part, which is both extremes. And that that vagus nerve is really about the regulation component. Mm-hmm. And so it's dysregulated when our sympathetic and our parasympathetic are, are out of whack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, it's really, we're not utilizing the executive functioning of our brain. We're just bypassing all of that and, and getting into that hypervigilance mode. And I think for me personally, a lot of people I've heard too, just taking that extra moment to just pause and to your point earlier, get more grounded into our body can make a huge difference in helping that regulation of emotions and and whatever we're experiencing physically. Yeah. And so counting, you know, backwards five, four, three, two, one slowly um, helps a lot. Um there's this technique five, four, three, two, one, and, and you identify five things, you know, five things that you see, four things you hear, three things you smell, and you go through this list five, four, three, two, one. Um, and if it doesn't work, you do it again. Right. And what we do know is that it really lasts about 30 seconds or less. And so mm-hmm. Marsha Lenahan, who was the founder of DBT basically said, if you can ride the way for 30 seconds, you'll get through it. Right. So I love that image. Um, I'm a California girl. Love that image, right, of just 
ride the wave, right? Imagine that you're just out floating and just that's such a wonderful freeing feeling and taking some deep breaths and just riding that wave of emotion, right? Or physical response helps calm down. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and using that five, four, three, two, one method, I used to typically picture a very uh, profound uh, moment in my life and just picture that and, and then engage with my senses. And uh, I think it's, it's really powerful because it just calms your nervous system down and then you're able to function appropriately and, and not respond from a uh, reptilian brain perspective. <laughs> Right, right. And that vagus nerve will then start to kick into gear when we're not in that reptilian brain. It'll start to center us and help with the physical and the emotional connection. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, this is great. Thank you, Joelle, again. I, I'm Pleasure. deeply honored for you to be here and, and come have this conversation with me. But before we come to an end, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? Um, I know you shared some of your socials and other ways. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes if you want to mention those again. But is there anything else as far as this topic is concerned as well that you want to put out there? Oh, we love feedback and, and um, you know, send us an email or a DM. Let us, let us know what you think. Um, we've got some new products that we're putting out. We have a trauma journal that's coming out. Um, we have some self-love products that are all skills-based, but all of the skills I've talked about are on our socials. Um, they're detailed, they're, um, they're founded in all different kinds of theory, trauma-informed and trauma-focused. But I really want listeners to know that if you have had a bad experience in therapy, find a different therapist. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great therapists out there. Ask questions, interview them, ask if they're trauma-informed, um, and and it's okay to to seek help and it's okay to to keep trying and interviewing people until you find somebody that you like yeah absolutely and i've shared that with my own personal experience and have repeated that that often you need to find a good match there's nothing wrong necessarily with therapists sometimes they can't be a good fit for what you need in that season of your life and, and it often takes a few tries. And, and I also recommend that people don't get discouraged if they don't find that right match immediately. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Joelle. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for checking out this episode with Joelle. As always, please leave a review or a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Until next week for the next episode.